Well, thank you. Thank you so much for... Hey, Corey. Hey, uh, this is uh, Corey and Adam with uh, Hey Arnold Hey. Uh, before we move on, let's just pause really quick. Um, that music is so cool, right? Am I right? Easily the coolest music on a children's show. Yeah, that that's on a that's jazz music on a children's show. It's so cool, and that's what we're talking about today. The coolest show, the coolest cartoon from my childhood. Hey Arnold. Hey Arnold. Hey, and the show is called Hey Arnold Hey. Um, my name again is Corey, uh, Corey Vaughn and with me is Adam Samaha and, uh, we're, we're setting out to do, uh, a really nerdy thing, which is, uh, summarize review and dig deep into this, into this cartoon, Hey Arnold. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm from, uh, right now I'm living in Fullerton, California, um, which is in a bright and sunny orange, orange County. Um, Adam, a little bit about what you're, what you're doing right now. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm living in multiple places, uh, a part-time in La, ha- La Habra Hills, uh, house sitting part-time in my parents' house, which is in a- another f- set of Hills in Orange County, um, right by the city college, uh, San Diego city college, if you're familiar. Um, yeah. I just so wanted to make sure, I wanted to just make sure to set up, set up your start with a little bit of shame. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of shame. Never did any harm. Never any harm. Okay. So to business, this is, uh, Harold Hay. Um, again, it's yeah, summary show, uh, but more than, more than summary though, like we, we aren't each, each podcast episode, we're going to be talking a bit about the episode we watched, uh, of Hey Arnold. But then after that quick summary, we're going to move into some more deep thoughts about why this show is so great. Um, some big ideas, some character development, some moments that stood out. And for me, I wanted to do this because it, uh, this show means a lot to me personally. I, I grew up with it. Um, this was the fir- kind of the first show, the first contemporary show that my family kind of watched together. So even just from a nostalgic factor, um, yeah, I, I <clears throat> excuse me, uh, really loved, really loved Harold. Uh, yeah, so nostalgically stands out a lot to me. But apart from that, I think that this super cool nostalgic 90s show also has a lot of depth and character and beauty and just some crazy ideas that most, most cartoon, most kids cartoons weren't doing at the time. And so it's been cool revisiting these episodes. Uh, the few that we've already looked at, um, uh, in, in preparation for this first episode, it's cool to see how much these ideas hold up and how much depth there actually is. So for me to be able to look at this piece of culture in a really in-depth way, um, I think it's going to be really fun and also um, mind stretching and uh, yeah, interesting to look at. But I don't know if any of those stick with you, Adam, and why you're doing this. But w- w- what are you thinking when you uh, enter into this project? Uh, so when I entered into it, I was running off the assumption that I had not really seen any episodes of Hey Arnold. And uh, having seen the first two at this point, I guess, um, I have realized that I remember most of what's going on, which is a weird feeling. It's like it's um, like brushing away the cobwebs and a weird part of my brain that I forgot about. It's like visiting an old friend. 
Yes, much like visiting an old friend covered in cobwebs. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, it's morbid, weird. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so when I entered it, I was kind of, uh, I was excited to kind of look at it with like a fresh set of eyes to give some insight and like my perspective on it and to revisit like a part of my life uh, that I hadn't thought about much recently. Mm. And I think that um, there is there is definitely something worth uh revisiting what it's uh it's 11 30 we're, we're we're house sitting right now and there's a clock in the background so yeah just so you know real time it's uh september we're doing it live september 24th bill o'reilly said good good political reference it's good <laughs> you got to bring in papa bear whenever you can yeah uh 11 11 30 on a on a beautiful thursday so yeah, I, I think when, yeah, so when I entered it, it was, I thought it would be like a good intellectual exercise. Um, and I thought it would be cool to sort of take, um, deconstruct a part of my past and I guess like our past, mm-hmm. um, as people who are in their late twenties and to, to sort of see like how the show lives and breathes now. And, um, I think that there's definitely like, there's a lot of themes worth revisiting and especially for the time the cast is very diverse. The storyline is very varied in general. Um, they come from like interesting, like lower socioeconomic status, which I think is very topical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of stuff to like look at that um, is easy, is easily forgotten as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were telling me something too about like how people in their mid twenties, like we have like a bad habit of like, oh pulling pulling from the past i don't know i, I can't remember yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. what no, you're saying yeah but. so i think that like and yeah no, i guess another reason i got involved in this was that i realized there was a lot of social reoccurring social situations where everyone feels really awkward and they've like run out of small talk and talking about uh their jobs and the weather gets super boring so then like a go-to uh, always seemed to be like a 90s nostalgic uh, mm-hmm. cartoons uh so like of, of various types and i think that at first, like I, I found this to be like a really weird, unsettling conversation because to me, it sort of feels like a bunch of old people getting together and like um, kind of just reminiscing about and romanticizing their past and not looking at like current events or like the future at all. And just kind of going on and on about like things that while they do have importance today, it's like so romantically yeah, viewed back in my day, kind of yeah, garbage. Yeah. yeah, all that garbage. So like. But then I realized that there's like a reason that that exists is because it's like a unifying like thing from our past mm-hmm, that people mm-hmm. can genuinely get behind. So it goes from being this really weird, clunky conversation to like becoming very personal. And then it brings up yeah, like personal situations yeah. from the past, like your childhood, different weird random stories that they haven't thought about forever, but like bring them great joy. And then inevitably everybody else around them great joy because just because you talked about it. A- a dumb cartoon totally and yeah, yeah and you realize yeah. your life like is like the things you did as a child are crazy and weird even if they're not like um like b- bad in any way they're like you do weird things and the show encapsulates that perfectly like there's yeah. this weird duality between like you have these really bright intellectual moments as a child and then the next thing you'll do will be so idiotic and insane mm-hmm. and it shows like that you're still developing mm-hmm. and you're actually like a you are sort of like a sponge where you're taking in things around you but you're also like learning everything for the first time because mm-hmm. so you're making weird mistakes yeah that's that's great that's exactly right um so yeah a l- very quick summary on just the show in general uh, it's about a kid named arnold 
Uh, he has a lot of friends, um, some antagonists too. Uh, he, him and his friends grew up in um, some inner city. Uh, you kind of get bits and pieces of where the city is um, as the as the show goes on. But um, at the start, it's just this basic inner city. Um, it's about Arnold and his best friend Gerald kind of navigating uh, these different things that are happening um, in their hometown. Uh, you know, the, the different uh, friends and adults uh, that kind of come their way. And I'd say the third main character is Helga, Helga Pataki. Um, and she is this, she's this bully and this antagonist, but she's also kind of the anti-hero. Like sometimes I watch this show and I'm like, I think this show's about Helga. I think it might, I think it might be about her. And she, she's this, this kid who just antagonizes Arnold and every student, but specific, she like points. It's like she has her finger pointed at Arnold at all times. And the reality is she has this unrequited love for him, this intense unrequited love. And, uh, so half of the, it's like half of the show is about her, like approaching him either with this like intense hatred or this intense love. And it's really like a lot of depth. And I'm sure that she's going to be a like flyaway conversation, like, all the time in this uh, podcast because she's just has a lot of, a lot of depth. Um, but yeah, it's, it's mainly about Arnold uh, with these other people that he comes in contact with. Uh, and the cool thing is there's so many characters that you really get to learn about this community. Um, yeah. This, di- this like diverse community of people. Um, so, oh, and a couple other things. Yeah. It started in 1996 uh, by Craig Bartlett. Um, I think beforehand he was working on like Sesame street or Pee Wee's playhouse and he kind of developed this character uh, and then Nickelodeon ended up buying buying the story and they produced like a hundred episodes. Um, I think it ended in like 2003, 2004. Um, yeah. So it, it definitely is, uh, for the kids born between like 85 and 92. That's sort of the, sort of the age range here. Um, so yeah, let's, I guess let's move into the first episode. I'll give a really quick summary as quick as I can. We might pull some like quick ideas and then we'll, we'll kind of finish up by, bringing in some um, bigger thoughts too. So this is the, uh, most of the episodes are two-parters. Um, the first episode of the pilot is called Downtown as Fruits, um, which is like a super cool episode to start out with because it's about uh, Arnold and Gerald wearing fruit costumes running around downtown. Uh, it opens up with uh, Arnold daydreaming about like surfing or something. Uh, it's kind of not relevant to the plot at all, except that he kind of has this romantic idealism about him. Uh, and it's revealed very quickly that he is part of a production at his uh, elementary school um, about um, the five fruit groups. It's like a little musical being put on that's being directed by Helga, who, uh, we, as mentioned before, she has this kind of antagonist, antagonistic relationship with Arnold. Um, she's a jerk. She like kind of bullies Arnold and the rest of the kids uh, into doing this show. And uh, as Arnold and Gerald are prepping to go to this show, uh, they, you know, they leave Arnold's house wearing the fruit costumes. They get on the bus and Gerald brings up, what if we didn't go? And so they just skip, they just skip out. They decide not to go to the show and they get, they actually get like stranded downtown with no money, no, no clothes, except for these like, like fruit costumes. Um, and, uh, like, so not only are they skipping on the play, they're, t- they're totally stuck. Uh, and then they like find a bag of money and spend it and then like run into the guys who like whose money it was. And then they feel bad about leaving Helga. Um, and alongside of the story is 
Helga and the other kids prepping for this play and Helga realizing that Arnold's gone and like being angry, but then also like being in love too, you know? So there's that like drama, like I, I hate him and I love him, which we'll talk about later that there's a line that like is surrounding that. That's just unbelievable. But uh, yeah, so half the show is half of the episode is about Helga kind of figuring out what to do without her fruits. Um, and the other half is Arnold and Gerald kind of having this joyride downtown uh, with like thousands and thousands of shady drug money. Right. Um, and then Arnold and Gerald have a change of heart. Um, they run into this like, like shady, um, not shady, just like, con, like con artist, uh, what are they psychic, like psychic or something. And uh, they end up feeling bad and they go and like save the show and it, get back into Helga's good graces. So that's like a really basic summary of the show. And I think there's like a lot that can be pulled out. Obviously. Um, what are some things that stood out for you? Yeah, this, uh, this episode is great. Cause it, it, uh, there's a lot to unpack and I think it sets up the show, uh, pretty nicely. Um, so you get to see like the setting that everything is taking place in. So yeah, you understand that they're like in what looks like a low income, uh, housing area. And then you get to see them on the bus and the types of people that are on the bus and like where they fit into that equation. And then well, the kind of their fellow classmates at the school and everything. And I think that there's like a theme, like something that's worth unpacking is that the, the show opens with um, Arnold and he's like daydreaming about uh, surfing like a huge wave just to be with, like, like dinosaurs pulled, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. To be pulled back in reality by Helga. And there, there's like an escapism in that. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, when they board the bus and then they decide to go downtown, it's like the physical sort of manifestation mm-hmm. of that same sort mm-hmm. of thinking where they are kind of bummed out on the reality of what's going on. They don't want to be held up by Helga. They don't want to be in this, in their mind, stupid play. So they're going to it escape. It is a stupid play. Yeah, it's, it's a it, stupid it's really play. Stupid, yeah. But in a fantastic way. And then, so they escape that situation by like just going downtown and blowing everybody off. Right. right. And, so there's like a lot of that. You see that dreaminess sort mm-hmm. of in, in, uh, and distance sort of within Arnold, which makes him an interesting dynamic character. Um, and you also see how Helga as like a leading character sort of interacts with her cl- fellow classmates and with Arnold. And you see that struggle between her love and hatred for him, Yeah, which yeah. is like really deep and fantastic. She's like a super jerk. Yeah. Like, like who's blo- who? You know what? I wouldn't even say she's blind to her own feelings because she knows what she feels. Oh, she, it's, yeah, she's it's well more, aware. It's a struggle that she can't like balance the two. She can't. She doesn't know how to love Arnold. I, she doesn't know how to love Arnold without also hating him completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a line where she like realizes that they're missing, and she just gets so pissed off. And then she pulls out this. She like looks around, like kind of making sure no one's looking, and then pulls out this. Uh, this locket with Arnold's picture in it. And she, she says something along the lines of, uh, if I get my hands on you, I would soothe your fevered brow. Oh, Arnold, how I love you. And then instantly she says, how I hate you. And then she repeats that like 10 times. How I love you. How I hate you. How I love you. How I hate you. And that's like, <coughs> excuse me. I'm like excited. I'm joked up. Um, <laughs> this is profound depth for a nine-year-old to like struggle with like two huge emotions, love and hate. Yeah. At the same at, at the same moment. 
And you see that there's this one scene where she is sort of like uh, wrapped up in that feeling and she's like this romantic intellectual and then a mouth breather shows up over her shoulder yeah, the next Brainy. moment. His name's Brainy. Brainy, yeah. And <laughs> he's the mouth breather for sure. And then she like punches him in the face immediately. So you see like kind of the whole range of her emotions and like personality in like a ma- matter of seconds. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it, and it makes sense that someone someone wrapped Someone as tightly wound as Helga, um, if a mouth breather is going to pop up behind her, she's going to punch him. It, yeah, she's like have to like release it somehow. Yeah, that's how she. Re- I, and I think that might be how she releases her anger in that moment. Is yeah, uh, and it's not even anger at Arnold; it's anger that she can't. I don't know. I'm even reading into it too much, but <laughs> it's like, why? Why can't I love him? Uh, but I. But I hate him still. How? Like, there's there's got to be some kind of gross, abject anger that she's feeling towards that. Um. Yeah, another thing too is that that I noticed is like the first the first moment that they go into the city. They go into the city by themselves, dressed up as fruits, onto the bus. And that is so foreign to my experience. Um that's something that I think I wished I could do at nine years old, but the fact is I didn't. Like I would never I, I think even at like twelve I couldn't go onto a bus by myself. I and I know that if I was nine, strangers would say, like, what are you doing? Do I need to call? the cops or call parents like, are you all right? Little boy, are you okay? Right. (laughs) That's, that's what, that's, that's what I think would happen if I was nine on a bus. So it's cool that they can do that, but also crazy, like, and dangerous that they just said, yeah, let's go downtown. We don't have money. Yeah. It's cool. And, and when you, when you, uh, you notice very quickly that there's no parents involved in in this situation to sort of mediate that. Yeah. And the people that they run into on the bus are like people that sort of, don't seem to be doing the right thing in life. Like right, you're not right. quite sure what everybody's story is, yeah, but they yeah, look yeah, like yeah. they're in a bad place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but all they do is they look at Arnold and Gerald as they sit <laughs> down the freaks. bus like freaks, yeah. but then kind of shrug and go, huh, whatever. Like that's what you see in the big city. Yeah. Big city, couple nine year olds in a <laughs> banana and fruit and a strawberry. Cu- yeah. On the town. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, um, when, so I think that, oh, so just a personal situation that I can kind of relate to this. So my growing up, my mom was terrified of me getting in the car with like a, an older person because I was really into skateboarding. And so we'd, there was like a wide age range of people that we'd hang out with. Mm-hmm. So we were in middle school, but there was guys who were 16, 17 years old there. So they would want to take us to the skate park and do something like that in the car. And my mom was terrified of that idea. But for some weird reason, and I don't know if actually if she knew this was happening or I don't think she would have okayed it, but we would take the bus to Santa Anna to go skateboard. Mm. And I remember just the rush as a kid, like feeling like you're on this sort of weird expedition and like you're going through the, the, the city is like a safari and like everything around you is new and exciting and interesting. And I I realized I felt much like, uh, Arnold and, and yeah, Gerald. Yeah, but Arnold and Gerald, it's not an... Ad- I mean, it's kind of a joyride. It's just their life. But it's just... Yeah, yeah. they like, just get like, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, can you believe you got to wear these damn fruit costumes? Let's get on the bus and go to cl- go to school. Yeah, like, a suburban uh, kid like, oh man, the world is so exciting. And yeah, they're not yeah, thinking yeah. that at all. They're not at all. And, yeah. And there's a nine-year-old directing their play. Like, yeah, this yeah. Is, this is The kids are doing adult things and not yeah. even thinking twice about it. And I guess that's sort of, you know... The, just from a like practical standpoint, this is a show written by adults for kids. Yeah. And so it's always going to have a slightly elevated um, thing happening because it's, it's coming from the perspective of adults about what kids are thinking. So it's, that's kind of interesting too, thinking about like why it was written the way it was. Um, and I, I think that also that 
like when you're dealing the, the situation exists that there's almost no parents or no parental supervision at all and i think that because of that the the characters have sort of created uh different like peer groups where they have to answer to one another so when they're traveling on the bus they're not like and, and they're trying to figure out if they're going to go downtown or go to the play there's no worry that their like parents will be angry at them it's the fact that right. helgi Hel- helgi helga, <laughs> helga <laughs> i knew i'd butcher a name at some point yeah uh, helga would be furious and so that back and forth it's like very um yeah it's just very interesting because it's not like they because there's no parents, there's also no rules. It's like they have rules and they yeah, have some yeah. sort of morality or ethical ideals, but it just doesn't have to do with parents. It has to do with Helga right, and right, it has to do with right. one another, which is really, really interesting yeah. to look at now because I feel like we're very used to parents like really, really overparenting mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. being very overbearing and really like just worrying and creating yeah. anxiety that they pass on their kids. But these kids don't seem to live for that same type of anxiety. I wonder if it's because we live in the suburbs and that's just kind of the nature of suburbia. Like, I wonder if we lived in the inner city, if it was, if well, I think a it's like, yeah, it's a class thing too. Yeah. Because like the people that have the ability to like, like Lord over their children, Right, you can't right. lord over your kids while you're at work. Right, that requires right, like right, a parent being right. home or like a really gnarly nanny, yeah. which also costs money. Yeah. So it's definitely a class thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think in the show too, like I've like seen the show a ton. I, I know this is kind of the first time you're returning to it, but there are there's a wide variety of of like classes in this show, and so it'll be interesting to see how they interact the rich kids versus the poor kids. You know, the different different cultures that are coming out behind that. Um, one other thing that I think is really, really great about this episode is this kind of conversation of, of childhood or like young person naivety. Um, how, how, when Gerald and Arnold realize they don't have money, Gerald yells out to the sky, we don't have, we don't have any money. And then they get money. Like the second, the second that <laughs> we don't have any, Oh, look money. Like that's how, that's yeah. how quick it happens. And, uh, the, okay. So the naivety that they have is in, in Arnold's next sentence, which is boy, people downtown sure are friendly. And that there's like a lot loaded in that. There's a, it, it could maybe be like nine year old selfishness, right? Like, Oh, people, people must be nice to me because that's the way people are. But I think it's not just that selfishness. I think it's more a like a, innocence and a naivety that people must be nice. That's the way people are. So I guess this money's for us. So I guess we're going to go spend it. And that's what they do. They go spend all the money on like weird clothes and root beers for everybody and the billiards hall. Um, the, the clothes that they buy to are way worth noting. They are the worst clothes and uh, it's like classic child dressing themselves. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's like a dress up. Yeah. yeah they're yeah. mixing and mashing styles of dress that don't work. So yeah, they look kind of like there's like a pimp look. Yeah, there's yeah. like a pseudo '90s bohemian thing. There's like all these different things going on at one time, like a weird jazzy thing, like you'd see in a yeah. coffee shop in the '90s, like a goatee and the tiny glasses. If the name of the place was like Roscoe's Funky Rags <laughs> yeah. or something, and that sounds to me a, like a place you'd find down in downtown LA, yeah. uh, like I, I don't to even know who shops there. Yeah, to find, yeah, yeah, I don't know who would sh- who shops there other than like pimps and yeah. pseudo nineties hippies. Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't, <laughs> but they go there. That's, that's their ideal. That's what they like. This is the place. This is the place to go for the, for clothes because we're, we don't have any clothes right yeah. now. It's we like have fruit costumes. They're like a little kid and you see them like, why are you wearing cowboy boots and a tutu? 
It's like, oh, because she wants to be a ballerina and a cowgirl. Yeah, why not? Like, but yeah, why not? You just do whatever the hell you want. And yeah. when they have all that money, they can do whatever they want to like the best degree. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's this like naivety going on. Um, but when they, the perspective kind of shifts when they get confronted with the wrong they've done. And, and part of it kind of comes under the guise of a karmic thing. You know, uh, Arnold kind of yells to Joe, we got Let's go, let's go back. We got a karmic energy to fi- field to fix. And that's a weird, like, it could be, I guess it could be focusing on the karma element of it, but I think it's less about the karma and more about them feeling bad about a thing they did mm-hmm. and deciding, let's, wrong. yeah, righting a wrong. Yeah. And so from that moment on, instead of spending the money uh, however they want, they kind of use it to pay it forward. They um, obviously go back to save the show, but they also... You know, they pay the taxi cab like a lot of money to take them there. But the, mo- the most kind of precious moment and the moment that precious moments are great. Uh, you know, the little kids that I didn't mean I didn't mean to say precious moment. The like sweet, the sweetest moment of the episode is when the line boy, people downtown sure are friendly is repeated, yeah. which has to be important. The, the, the screenwriters had to have thought of this. I hope so, because it's so great. Uh, so the first time that that line is said is Arnold and Gerald receiving the money in this kind of um, like this nefarious money and assume that it's good, Uh, which to hammer that in, they think the money was given to them in good, like in good faith. But the reality is it's not like that money was meant for somebody else. It probably was stolen Mm -hmm. so they can think it doesn't matter what they think. Even if they think it's a great thing, it's not a great thing. They've been given like dirty money, right? Yeah. And that's that clash, I think, of like, like you, you see the context that they're living in. You're mm-hmm. seeing that when people live in an environment like that without money, that they resort to behavior right, that right. like... It, it, it doesn't match, like what, their, their assumption doesn't match what actually is going on. And the yeah. viewer sees that. The viewer sees this shady dude throw a bag of money out of a car. And so the yeah. viewer knows right away, oh, that money probably was like drug money, right? Definitely, yeah. Um, but, the, but the kid doesn't know that. The kid only asked for money and received the money. Mm-hmm. So of course they're going to naively use the money for their own purposes. Um, but the nice thing about this next moment is they're dri- they're driving in the taxi on the way back to the school and they see this um, family and daughter, this couple and daughter standing by this car that's clearly broken down. The, the wife is like changing a tire, you know, the father and daughter sadly hugging each other. And then they throw them the, the rest of the money. Like, or yeah, they just like hand them a wad of cash and the mom very quickly says, boy, people downtown sure are friendly. And this time there's no naivety. It's completely true. So the family looks at the money, thinks, wow, people are nice. This money is for us. And they're right. So before Arnold says the same thing and he's just being naive, but this time he's right. They're they're right because Arnold and Gerald really are giving them money and giving it out of good faith. And the viewer knows that and the people receiving the money know it. And that's a beautiful moment because it's, it's switching the perspective of what, giving and paying it forward and, and receiving can mean. Um, I think it's, I think it's a really lovely moment and it, it, it's an illustration of what's, what's changing in these characters hearts. And I think that the, this, the dynamic between the family who's stranded on the side of the road is like kind of shows how the, the role of men and women play in the show as well, mm-hmm. because you have the woman who's completely covered in dirt, like getting her hands dirty and doing actually the actual fixing. Right. And then right. the guy there just looks like a doofus and he's yeah. just like sitting there, not yeah. like just kind of sitting there watching idly by. And I think a lot of the female characters in this show 
are very yeah. strong personalities. Yeah. yeah, they are people that like go out it on their own, and if they see something and they want to do it, they just do it. Whether yeah. it's his grandma or Helga, these people are not like playing traditional sort of yeah, yeah. female roles. It's interesting that one of the first like adult women you see is changing attire, right? Yeah. Like, or like the first adult woman like in action that you see, she's changing attire. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this show, this show, and this first episode is super diverse too. So we know that this show is doing a different thing than what was going on in most shows in 1997 mm-hmm. or 1996. Um, yeah, it's diverse. There are a lot of different like races and ethnicities hanging out here. Um, there's, there's a, yeah, two lead male characters, but also a really strong lead female character that is yeah. almost balancing the two of them out. So this is, yeah, this is a, she's almost more dynamic than the other characters. are. Oh, absolutely. Her, yeah, yeah. There's complexity there that you don't really see in the other characters as much. Not, yeah, not yet. And, and really, you know, I would argue that she's probably the most complex and you already see it in that, in this first moment of her saying, I love him, but I hate him. I love him, but I hate him. And that, that gets pulled apart even more as the show continues. So that's, yeah, that's sort of down. That, that's downtown as fruits. Um, the second episode of the pilot is called um, Eugene's Bike. Um, I don't know. Did you want to try to give a quick summary of that? Yeah. So Eugene's Bike is like a very simple story, but there's a, a lot you can unpack from it as well. So it's essentially that Eugene, who's like a super dork, shows up to school on this really badass bike. And he's so excited and he's like showing off in the dorkiest way possible. But you can just tell that he's so genuinely excited and everyone is in awe of this bike and they're like in awe of the bike because it's a cool bike. But they're also in awe of the fact that this dork is able to have this bike. Mm -hmm. And so what ends up happening is uh, Arnold ends up tying a shoe, knocking over the bikes on the bike rack and his bike goes hurled into the street and he gets destroyed. And Eugene is crushed and Arnold feels so responsible for what happened and wants to do anything to fix it. So the rest of the show is... Arnold just going step by step and doing all these different things, these different acts to sort of make it up to Eugene while he's the whole time missing the point that Eugene is an outcast and is an actual dork. And all he actually wants is to spend time with someone that he says is his friend. And Arnold just sees it at very surface level and very transactional as like, I did this wrong and I need to make up for it. And the whole show is this back and forth where Eugene, who by all accounts so far in the the show should like be angry at the world because every bad thing keeps happening to him. Even when he pulls up on his bike and he does this cool skid, like this one moment of like just awesomeness gets destroyed (laughs) because the lens in his glass falls off and falls to the floor. So even in that, he can't even have that good moment. It's like destroyed by the universe or whatever is out there. And he just plows through. He plows through. And he keeps going. It doesn't like, isn't bothered by it at all. And that's consistent theme with Eugene that he, Although these bad things happen to him, he looks at it like in, in the, um, the best way possible. Mm-hmm. So in the episode, they go to a baseball game because Arnold thinks like, I'm going to give you the best day ever. And part of that is every kid wants to go to a baseball game. But while he's viewing the baseball game, a baseball comes and hits him in the face. So these situations happen over and over and over again in the episode. And I think the crux of the episode is like showing the difference between like what is intrinsic friendship or like an like a um yeah like an what's intrinsic, true friendship what's true friendship and then what is like more of a transactional re- relationship mm-hmm. and um like how that actually plays out and it's interesting i think because arnold is a complex character but i think he's limited by his nine years of life mm. and um he sees things through his perspective and um he can't get over the fact that he just sees it as 
this thing that he needs to fix. And I think it shows that he's probably like the fixer in the, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in the show. And this is a very obvious way of uh, that playing out. And he, yeah, he really is a fixer. If, as you watch this show, th- this particular episode, he says, I'll make it up to you like seven times uh, just to kind of fill in some holes. He actually like takes the broken bike home and creates this brand new bike that ends up being a piece of garbage that uh, Eugene like breaks his body in, right? Like he and uh, Eugene rides this bike into a door and then goes to the hospital, but then Arnold tries to fix that. And then uh, he hurts Eugene again. And then he ends up trying to make it up to him by taking on this fun day. And, and the episode winds down as Arnold realizes there's nothing I can do to fix this guy. And I'm so sad about that. And I'm bummed about that. And then Eugene is this light, this breath of fresh air that despite um, Arnold's disappointment that he can't fix it, Eugene doesn't care. And there's so much to be pulled from that. Um, that's beautiful and lovely and sweet. Um, I don't know if, yeah, I want to come back to that later. Um, but I think, I think the first thing, and you touched on it a little bit at the beginning, is this idea of what people deserve uh, versus what they get um, and what, what our role is in giving giving people the, those things that are deserved. Um, early on when, when Eugene's bike gets broken the first time, Gerald kind of says, oh, don't feel bad about it, Arnold. This stuff, this kind of stuff always happens to the geeky kids. And of all the kids, Eugene is the geekiest. And that is a really huge statement about like, like dork, dorks deserve what they get every moment. <laughs> like you deserve that. Like that's, that's, that's super sad and terrible. I don't know. Yeah, there's yeah, and, and the dorks either get nothing or they get the worst of whatever yeah, is available. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and I th- yeah, and I think that the like a lot of the the situations come to be because you're dealing within the framework of like a nine year old's life, right? And right. so even in terms of you often see the limits of that. So when although there's the scene of um, Arnold like with a welding mask on and he's welding and he's trying really hard to make a beautiful bike, remake a beautiful bike for Eugene. Yeah. He, when he's crashing, he forgets to put the brake cable on, which is right, a big thing. Right. And before he realizes that the, um, Eugene pulls up on the handlebars and the handlebars just detach from the rest right, of the bike. Right. So you realize this happens over and over in the show where like, you'll think these kids are way beyond their years, but then right. you realize they are not at all. Yeah. Like yeah. they're, they're brought back to reality in these moments and it, it shows up physically like that. And then it also shows up in their relationships. Yeah. I love, I love how deterministic and fatalistic Gerald's comment is saying, Oh, these things happen to the dorks. You just wait. Like, <laughs> It doesn't matter how hard you try. It will always happen to this kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and, and, and Arnold like pushes against that. He says, no, like every dork deserves his day and I'm going to give it to him. Like, Those intentions are fantastic, oh, but, but early Gerald on, is least. just true. It's just right. Yeah. Yeah. Ger- yeah. yeah. And well, this situation he's totally he's right. He's totally right. There, things happen to Eugene over and over and over again. And, and Arnold's pushing against it, but Gerald's right. He's right, but Gerald also sees it the way the way that um, Arnold does, and that like you can try as hard as you want, but nothing good is going to come out of it, which is so not true. And Eugene realizes that realizes that that's not true. And of course, like it doesn't surprise me that Arnold and Gerald feel that way because they're like best friends, so they probably have similar situations and they interact very similarly in the world. So the fact that you're saying that even though Arnold's pushing back against Gerald, he still probably agrees with him deep down, like. Oh, you're probably, and then at the end he, re- he realizes Gerald was right. 
Yeah, he realizes he was Gerald right. is right, but he wants to prove Gerald wrong mm. because he thinks that there is like that's the right thing to do. Yeah. There's like, but uh, yeah, and I would argue that it's not it's not just Arnold saying like this is the right thing to do. There is a weird obsessive compulsion to this. <laughs> yeah. Like like, <laughs> yes, it starts out so noble, like every dork deserves his day, and I'm going to give it to him. But that's not really what the issue is. Yeah. The issue is Arnold feels so bad that he did it, and he's there's this obsessive fear that it's not going to be made right unless he makes it right, and he he says the phrase. Basically, along the lines of, I'm going to make it up to you, or I'll make it up to you. He says that like five or six times to Eugene. And each time, just to like, and I, I want to like focus on this later, but Eugene each time says, oh, you didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Every time. It's it's this weird like, Arnold saying one thing and Eugene responding, and Arnold does it anyway. Yeah, and, and it shows that Arnold just isn't listening. Like he's driven yeah. by something deeper. Something way deeper. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... It's, uh, I think there's some like, you know, we could get some sort of psychological attachment thing. Like he's afraid that if he doesn't fix this, then Eugene isn't going to like him anymore. I mean, that's, that's implicit. It's not, it's not verbally said, but it feels that way. Like him saying, he said, I'm sorry. The part in the hospital, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) Arnold, that's not helping. That's not, that's not helping. Like just flip the switch back on and we'll be okay. You know? Yeah. And you realize when you look at uh, Eugene that way that even when he has this cool bike, he it, he obviously cares about the bike. And he says that he wanted this bike more than extreme wealth and more than world peace. So he obviously cares about the physical thing, the bike. Right, right, right. But also the way that he shows his bike off, it's like to elicit a certain reaction from the people around him. So then again, he's yeah. looking for like an a, a, like a, some sort of emotional connection. connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, while he's the bike is it. important, he's proud yeah. of it, and he wants others to be proud of it, well, or to like to be jealous of it or lust after the bike. And so for him, everything is like very emotionally driven. Whereas for like, I think a lot of nine-year-olds, it like things are just like very surface level and very f- based off material things. Yeah. 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 So it's not that they're trying to like accumulate material things, like as you get older in life, but there's something like where, um, like that was my toy and you broke my toy. So you owe me something. Yeah. There's this, um, I think, and Ar- that's what Arnold is leaning into. Well, I, I ruined this thing, so I must like fix it then I must fix the thing. And if I can't fix the thing that I have to make it up to him in some other way, it's a transactionary mm-hmm. uh, relationship. Um, and I think the, the reality is Eugene doesn't see friendship that way. No. And that's the beautiful twist in this episode is you see Eugene getting his day screwed up over and over again. His bike gets ruined. He gets a hot dog thrown into his eye. He gets a baseball hit on his head. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would be mad if I was Eugene, I would be pissed. I would say, Arnold, get away from me. Even in the scene where his bike gets destroyed by the car, he like curses the sky, yeah. like the, like yeah. some, like the universe, and he doesn't look at Arnold and go like, "Screw you, Arnold! Like you ruined my life." Yeah, it, he never turns it at Arnold. He like turned it upwards, yeah, and yeah, he's cursing yeah. God almost because yeah. his bike is destroyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he never, at any point, he doesn't turn it personal right, to Arnold, right. and that's and that's beautiful. He sees that it, that like his the the point that he keeps saying you didn't have to do that. That's like honing in on the fact that Eugene doesn't see friendship as a transactionary thing. He sees friendship as you're just being with me, man. Like Mm -hmm. this is cool. And so when Arnold plans this big day for Eugene and it just goes horrible, there's this like, like depressing moment where Eugene is just throwing up over the edge of the bridge and Arnold is sitting under the lamplight in a very like Edward Hopper kind of minimalist, like minimalist light. So sad. And Arnold just says something, something along the lines of, 
well, I guess this day wasn't meant to be. Like, this day, this day wasn't good after all. And Eugene joyously, like, it's like he, like, wipes the vomit off of his face and goes, what? What are you talking about? This was a great day. I, I did all these things, and no one's ever done this for me. Mm-hmm. And that little line there is him saying, like, I see what you did for me, and that's important. The fact that you sought after me is a big deal. And, and to me, that's pushing against this obsessive, um, uh, obsessive need to fix things. And it's Eugene calming Arnold down and saying, it's okay. I'm really glad that we spent the day together. And that's beautiful. Lovely little thing. Yes, it is quite lovely. And although the, from the, for the viewer's perspective, the, the whole situation can seem like sort of pathetic, like Arnold is trying over and over and over again to do the right thing. And it's just screwing Eugene over, over and over and over again. And, but I think that if you look at the situation as a whole and you take Arnold out of this situation, yes, Eugene's bike may have not have been destroyed, but also he would not have had those adventures with like a friend and a peer where he got to have like a real human connection and get basically what he wanted, which was to just have a good time, just have like a genuine good time. And because Arnold was there, he was able to provide that for Eugene, even though his intentions were sort of confused and at times seemed almost obsessive and selfish. Um, still there was like a good return for Eugene, which was that he got to have like a wonderful day and whether or not Arnold understands that still provides a good for Eugene. Yeah. Cause (laughs) Eugene Eugene says, nobody's ever done this for me. I don't know how I would be able to thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And it was the best day he's ever had. So, uh, we can, we wish, uh, Eugene many more good days, but we don't know if that's actually going to happen. Um, we will, I guess we'll find out. (laughs) Am I right guys? (laughs) Are there more, are there more episodes? Yes. The answer is yes. It's just two. It's just two. It's a short show. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Uh, a wrap. No, No, but really it's a wrap. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. And it was a very wonderful time. Very fun. Um, and we hope that you tune in, uh, for the next, um, hundred episodes that we're whatever we're going to do. But I remember to remember to watch the episode before you listen that would be that would give the most context for what we're talking about definitely um and maybe it'd only be 50 more episodes if there's 100 yeah that's like basic math that i want to do right now we don't have to worry about the math but yeah so thank you so much thank you very much bye bye bye